what's up, financial advisors? It is me, Sarah G, with the smack, and I am back. And today I have Thomas Koppelman here. And the reason that I wanted to speak with Thomas is this. You advisors are all skeptical that you could actually get leads from social media. Thomas is the co-founder of All Street Wealth. And in quarter one of this year alone, Thomas got 60 qualified leads, all who came to him without him having to message out. They all found him through his very productive content strategy on social media. And in addition, I've found Thomas to be very transparent and very clear and in how he markets. And I think this could be a model for a lot of you listening. So let's get started. Thomas, hello and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm excited to do this. And I love your intro. So Thomas, how did all of this happen? Like, how did you get started? Yeah. Well, I think it kind of goes back to how I got started in the industry. Um, I started like most other people, broker dealer life. Um, and I was in a spot that was like not the worst at broker dealers. Like I'm not like, you know, slinging permanent life insurance, but they're still talking like pretty much everything is sell sales, selling um, products, et cetera. And I just remember like everything I was trained to do was go to networking events, go to weddings, go to volunteer opportunities and like come back with a list of leads that you have. And it just, to me, didn't make any sense. Right. Like, I just think that if financial planning is so important and, and people need it, then I should be able to attract people versus sell to people. Like, I think that was like this huge realization I had is I shouldn't be trying to sell to everybody. I know I should be attracting people who need financial help. And that's like a still kind of a new way of doing things. I mean, I guess people try to do that maybe with like seminars or webinars. How all other service-based industries exist is they show the way they help people and they attract people who need that help. And I just really wasn't able to do that where I was at. I like, you know, social media would be, I'd hearsay and it'd be canned posts. And if I really wanted something, it would take a week to approve. And then they'd argue with my tone or the words that I use. And it was just like, this isn't me, right? I couldn't have a podcast. I couldn't have a blog. I couldn't do any of those things. And so I put it out to the world that like, get me out of here pretty much. And um, Thomas, so can we just pause there for a minute? Because this is a point that is really important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So many of us, myself included, came into the industry through broker dealer yep, or through insurance. And then a lot of us have eventually made our way over to the more transparent models. The fee Well, I'm not even a financial advisor anymore, right? But that's what a lot of people do is they start out at a broker dealer, then they eventually go hybrid or they just make the jump to fee only. If you could have gone back, do you think you would have just made more effort to go directly to fee only? And if so, how would you have done that? Um, I think if I was somebody other than me, I would try to get hired at a fee-only firm and be a junior advisor and learn planning and not have to worry about getting clients for the first few years, get my CFP and get the education. The thing that maybe is a little different about me is like, I am a self-learner. Like throughout school, I was never the like, follow the teacher, follow the textbook, take the notes. I was like, two days before the test, I'm going to learn all of this. I'm going to go in and do it. And so I don't know if that would have motivated me as much as this. What happened to me is like, I don't, I'm not learning any of the things I need to learn. I have to, I'm going to go self figure all of this out. You know, I built up great relationships with mentors. I read every blog. I followed all the podcasts of all the greatest advisors <clears throat> and I use that to learn. And then I would like reach out to some people be like, Hey, help me go through this case. Let me figure out like how you think about this. You know, what are the planning things that I'm not thinking about that? I don't know. And so for me, 
that sped up my learning way faster because it felt like forced learning. And I was like, you know, I had to survive, right? Like I, I was full commission. I had no other choice but to grow. And I knew the best way to work with people is I had to learn what real financial planning looks like to be able to help them not on life insurance, disability insurance, even though those are parts of it, but like all really like how do you actually manage your cash flow and how to plan for your future and how to invest in the right accounts to use and starting a business and equity compensation and student loans, like all the things that the people I was working with were going to be facing. So I guess that's kind of a weird answer, but I would say that's what I would do if I'm the person who likes structure and training and built out, which I think is the vast majority of people. Did you even know at that point what a power planner was? Um, No. Not really. I mean, I, my college, like I went to a great college, but it wasn't really like a financial planning focus in anything. So I was like a marketing and finance major. I kind of just end up in this industry. Um, but like when I was there, I didn't know anything about financial planning. I didn't even know what a financial planner really was. I like came in, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to help people? Like, I guess we'll figure this out as we go. And they weren't really that geared towards like planning either. Right. It's like, here's what you need. You need permanent life insurance policy. You need disability insurance. You're going to need long-term care, put you into our mutual funds and, you know, go put money in your 401k. And that was really like the level of the advice. And that would be like the better of the planners and, and the depth of what they were going to let alone tax planning and managing their equity comp and right business structure, all that kind of stuff. That's so much deeper. Okay. So there you are working at the broker dealer. What happens next? So um, I remember, I, I tell this story often, but I remember, I, I don't, maybe some people here know his name's Russ Ford and he lives in Indy where I live. And I saw his website. I stumbled across his website and his website was all like, only going to work with 40 clients, flat fee, think best friend, not financial advisor, think life coach, not this. Think about me sitting across the table with you and your kids, not like stuck up suit. And I was like, everything was about being like, you know, your partner and your friend and helping you navigate and think through decisions and mediate and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I love that. Like, that's all I want to be. That's all I want to do. And then I'm not in the place to do it. And I randomly saw him at this like leadership conference. And I went up to him. I was like, dude, I love your website. Like, I love what you're doing. Like, I don't feel like I have a mentor or anybody to help me. Like, would you help me? And he was like, sure. So then we started like monthly meetings. Wait, hold on, um, hold on, Thomas. That's another point. I just have to stop you there. No, you're good. You asked for help. Yeah. From I really, I have no problem doing that. I am like the, I, I know a lot of people read about that, but like I am constantly asking people for help because I don't know how you can survive in this industry without it. Well, the, there's also the idea of it being a community and the more experienced, more seasoned people helping the people that are coming in so that they can avoid having to work for a broker dealer or they can avoid being taken advantage of by an insurance company or they can avoid starting a practice not knowing what they're doing and messing up somebody's life. Right. And then the idea of those people that are mentored and helped coming back and contributing back to the community by doing something similar or even helping the people that that were initially helping them. Yeah. So I love what you're saying, because I feel like and this is what I'm doing with the transparency movement is I'm trying to get everybody mentored. I'm trying to get everybody into little pods where they can just have really strong relationships because and I because I love what you're saying is that 
you've sought a relationship with somebody that could help you. You And for everyone listening, says you absolutely don't have to do it alone. If you ask somebody and they're not up for the task, that's okay. Find somebody else. But we don't, just because we're we're entrepreneurs and we're maybe one or two person shops, it doesn't mean we have, that, that might be what our business is, but that doesn't mean that has to be, we have to operate in total isolation thought-wise. Yeah. And I got a ton of offers actually, but most of them were more so like large, like mid-sized firms where I was going to have the junior planner and move my way up. But I'd already been leading client relationships. I'd already been learning. Like I knew I wanted to do marketing and none of those really had it. And luckily I got to go work. Um, I basically sat down with Justin Castelli a bunch of times and like, you know, we had good conversations. He wasn't in the, the, he wasn't going to hire. And I basically said, I was like, please hire me. Like you can pay me what my monthly expenses are, which is super low. You don't have to pay me any more than that as I grow my clients. And then we can grow my income as my client base is past my really low income. And he was like, you know what? You know, when you meet the right person, I think sometimes you just have to take the chance. So he brought me on and asked for like no money, pretty much. I was like, I don't care if I save, like, I don't care if I invest, like I'm going to invest in myself by learning here. And like, the great thing about him was he gave me so much freedom. Like he helped kind of carve out like, okay, Hey, like we're going to start with a blog. Right. And, and I'm going to help you learn through this and like help you learn through the m mistakes that I had, but you're going to own this. You're going to make it all your own. And <clears throat> you are going to like learn to how you want to work with clients. Like you can sit on my client meetings with me. We can think through things. Like, as you go through client cases, you can ask me questions, but then like I had a little bit of a different process and I wanted to add accountability meetings. And like, I worked with a little bit of, of a different audience. And then I, you know, he kind of gave me that freedom to, to be me and not just follow him. And then I was there for a while. Um, things were going pretty well. And he was like, to be honest, like we were probably talking once a month. Like I was working from home. He was in his office. Like I was handling all the things pretty much on my own. And so it was perfect. Then I went over and launched my own firm and I was able to bring over all my clients. I owned everything. And like, you know, maybe I started with like $3,000 a month of revenue. So enough where it's like, okay, minus expenses. Like I can, you know, cover my own expenses at home and not really be too worried about it. And then I just had to build beyond that. So that was set that we launched like basically October of 2021. So yeah, that's about <clears throat> a year and a half ago. And I was really focused on growing and I just had been listening to everybody. And like my main focus had been LinkedIn. And then I had this whole realization that I learned nothing on LinkedIn that like I go through LinkedIn and I comment and other people comment and then I read the comments and they're like good post or they're like great thought. Like they're really kind of like short inauthentic comments because everybody's told to engage with others. But then I thought about Twitter and I was like, I learn on Twitter. Like I learned about real estate and taxes and I learned from other financial planners and I learned about crypto, whatever it is I learned there. And I'm like, well, if I'm trying to work with people in their twenties, thirties and early forties that are builders that either, you know, have equity compensation or entrepreneurs. And they're like me, they're probably here. And I've been told for so long by financial planners that don't waste your time on Twitter. Twitter's only about networking, never about marketing. And I was like, I think you're wrong. I, I also think you're 55 and you're working with a different audience. And just because you're not getting clients there doesn't mean that I won't. Because a lot of the advice in the industry around marketing comes from people who are bad at marketing. They're like, well, it didn't work for me, so it didn't work for you. But I feel like me and that other person are playing a completely different game. Like I feel like 
you know, I, I'm doing a presentation about this and I, I look at other financial advisors and they're like, I'm not getting any clients from social. And this is their social calendar. Monday, they want, they put out their blog post and it'll be like about HSAs and it'll be like, HSAs are great tax advantage uh, accounts. Check out my blog post on it. And like, let's meet, then let's meet for coffee. Right. Yeah. Let me and know like, if you have a question on it. Yeah. yeah. And nobody reads it. Wednesday comes along and they're like, our clients love us because we're fiduciaries and do what's best for them. Book a free meeting to see why they love us. And it's like, okay, again, nobody's interested. And then Friday, they post a link to a blog post of something else they read and put like, great read. It's like, that's not really what content creation is. And that's not how it works. And that's not how you drive clients to your business. And those are the people who are giving all the advice about it doesn't work. And you hear the statistic that like one out of a hundred advisors gets clients from social media but it's because one out of a hundred advisors are actually good at content and good at marketing. If that, or the other thing that financial advisors do is they go on social media and they comment and they engage with other financial advisors postings. Yeah. Which, I mean, nothing wrong with, like I mentioned, being that community, sharing thoughts, et cetera, but you're not going to get leads from that. No, no. If you're going to get leads from creating. Yeah creating your own content and engaging with people that you would work with. Um, and also like most advisors write to other advisors. They write to sound smart. They write in heavy acronyms. They make it like, I, I read a lot of advisors content and I'm lost. And I'm like, I'm Googling words and nobody who's going to work with you is ever Googling a word that you put in your post. Like, like as soon as you do that, you lost them and you might've lost them forever because you feel unrelatable to them. So you start out, on Twitter. Yeah. So, so I started last year, last January on Twitter, I had about 800 followers and I said, Let, let's do this. Like I'm, I'm going to start and I'm going to do a thread every day for a month to get started, just to get familiar with it. And they weren't good. Right. Like I had a lot to learn. I, I kind of, you know, the example I just said, I wasn't great at writing a hook. I realized that like, I should be spending as much time on the hook or that first tweet as the rest of the post. For a while, I felt like I had good posts, but one, they weren't like visually appealing they weren't spaced, right? Like you see how everybody's posts and they're just long paragraphs and there's no spacing. It's just periods, whatever. And really like people want spacing. But on top of that, if I have a good post, that's great. But if I don't hook people in the beginning of the post, they're never going to go and read through all of the rest of the body or all the rest of the thread. And Samantha Russell really helped me realize that that was like the part I was missing. And so then I went to the point where like, that was my focus. Like I would probably take equally as much time to write just that thread or like just the hook as the entire post. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like the first tweet in a series of. Or sentences. yeah. Or even on like LinkedIn or whatever, like the first line or the first two lines, mm -hmm. right? Like you don't just go right into it. You have to like hook people onto why they need to read this or why it matters to them. Um, And that was like the big change that I made. It ha it's that simple that you just have to have a little bit of tension or suspense or intrigue. Mm -hmm. So the words that you use matter, the punctuation, the use of symbols or emojis, you just have to kind of stop the scroll. Yeah, you have to because you're fighting for people's attention, right? They're just scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of posts on different platforms all day that if you blend in versus stand out, they're not thinking about you and they're going right past you. Okay. So you figure out that you have to hook people. Mm -hmm. And then what starts happening? And then, you know, I just keep posting. Like my big thing was I started, I wanted to have like 
you know, three posts a week. And then I got to the point where I wanted to have one post a day. And then I got to the point where I wanted to have three scheduled posts a day. And so now I have three scheduled posts a day. And then I try to do three to five more throughout the day as I like walk away from conversations about some takeaways I have. Um, because again, the, the other advice I got on social media was focus only on quality. And, you know, if you can nail quality, you will get clients. And Nobody had tested the other way that I know of. And so I said, let me test it. Let me test quantity and ramping up quantity significantly. Like my job is to be the most active advisor on social media while still not having bad quality, right? Like still good quality, but instead of like three perfect posts, what if I could have 20 good posts? And that's when I think things started to really ramp up for me. So like, you know, we talked about how quickly I started to get clients from social media last year, you know, you know, we go back two years on LinkedIn. I was at the point where I was probably getting like seven to nine prospects a month. Average income, household income is probably 200,000. Now I'm getting like 20 to 25 prospects a month. Average income above $500,000. Um, most of them are business owners. Like vast, like my minimum right now is $9,000 a year to work with us. And they go online, they apply to work with us. We highlight that fee that that is our minimum then they apply and then we quantify, we qualify whether they're worth having that first meeting or if we should refer them out because they're not the right fit. And that was all come from increasing. And everybody's like, wow, your content seems like pretty simple. Like it's not that complex. And I think it's because people fail to realize that like all of these people I'm working with, no matter how successful they are, are normally really good income earners or business owners. They don't really know most of the basics of finance. And if I go past that, then I'm over their head and they're like, don't even know what I'm talking about. I agree with you about increasing the quantity, but I think most people aren't going to be at the point that they can do that and have it work until they really nail the quality. Like you don't start like, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to start, I'm going to start marketing. You have a podcast, a newsletter, a blog, you're going to post five times a week on LinkedIn. Like you don't do that. You start in one channel on one thing, you start small and then you scale up over time. And then as you build this content for me, like I could probably never create a new original piece of content again, the rest of my life and be fine because I have just banks of content. And so when I schedule, most of my scheduling is repurposing old content um, because I have all the old content I did, plus those new posts every day that sprinkle in. And, you know, I look back in January one, I had 7,500 followers and now I have almost 14,000 on Twitter. Most of my people have never even seen the best content that I've put out there. And so I need to keep re-putting it there in front of them in slightly different ways. And sometimes even in the exact same ways, because the odds somebody remembers my post from three months ago is pretty low. And if they do, great, I'm winning. Okay, but let's talk about the genesis of the ideas. Because a lot of advisors are just going to post the same thing over and over or the same thing as other people, and they'll never break away. Yes and no. I don't necessarily think it's about that. I think it's more so about telling the important things in your voice. So like, yes, there's a million posts about Roth IRAs, but the audience, the people who you're going to work with isn't necessarily following those people, right? Like everybody can go to Investopedia and look this up, but what if they never even knew about that topic? What if they never even knew to look it up? And then I guess the other side for me is I've just never had the problem of coming up with the ideas. Like I even go look in my notion right now and in blog post ideas I have, I have 110 unwritten blog post ideas and I've written two, almost 200 already. Like I just think that 
if you run out of things to talk about, that probably means your planning is actually not deep enough. Because when you're working on planning with business owners or equity compensation, and then all of the life stuff, like for me with millennials are going through, I mean, money is related to every single thing and every single decision that we pretty much make in life. I don't know how you could run out of ideas on what to talk about because I mean, just think about like a re regular client, all of the things you help one individual person through all the decisions they make from, you know, graduating college, to company benefits, to kids going to college, to buying a house, to starting a business, to, you know, planning for retirement, to planning for kids wedding, to taxes, to tax changes, to investment changes, to, you know, that's just like 10 topics inside of those 10 topics. I think every financial advisor could say, tell me every fact you know about this. And there's probably like a hundred things that they could go down. And so I think the easiest way for people to start is literally like after every client conversation, you're already writing notes, right? You have notes of what you okay, talked about. Thomas, yes. Let me repeat that. Thomas just said, after every client conversation, you should be writing notes. I could be better at that. I'll be, I'll admit, I, I've, I can be better at that for sure. We're working on that with my assistant, but everybody should, right? Like we all know that's compliance. You go read those notes. You probably have five different topics that you could go post about. The conversations right? are the source of the best content. Yeah. And then think about it. Like there's all the times where I have like a new client and we're facing something new, right? Like there's something new that you haven't had to experience it that you have to figure out. Why aren't you just creating the content around that? You have to go learn it. You have to understand it deeply. No better way than to create content and explain it to people. So like half my content that comes out new is different things that I'm having to face with clients and new interactions. And I don't think there's a better way to learn it for yourself. And then you're also then posting about something new anyways. See, there's an old notion, and I think it comes from Wall Street, the idea of the lofty hedge fund manager you know, the kind of button up banker types. And that's been traditionally the kind of brand and the image of the industry. But really, the credibility comes from being relevant. It's it's not coming from being hoity-toity anymore. Your CFP is great to have, right? Your industry designations are great to have, but people don't even know what they mean out there. Like that is a form of credibility, but when you do it through content, you've already sold who you are. So like when people sit down with us, they're like, what's my fee structure? What does it look like? I already know I want to work with you. I just got to see if that makes sense for me. Like there isn't any selling. There isn't any proving value. There's literally just, here's what we would, would do for you. What happens is I stay active. I stay in front of them. I educate them. So I'm educating them on cash flow and systems and maybe some tax planning and maybe some company benefits and Roth versus traditional 401k. And then they get a new job. And then that new job has ISOs. And they're like, wait, Thomas has posted so many times about ISOs. I know nothing about this. this is too complex. I know he can solve my problem. I'm going to reach out to him, right? Like that is exactly how the marketing funnel works, which is why to me, activity is the most important thing because I'm going to be so fresh in their mind. I'm going to be the only advisor that they've learned that much from that has never asked for anything from them. And, you know, the other advisors they know have been trying to sell them insurance all the time, been trying to do this. They're going to go to the one person who's like, I know what he knows what he's talking about, and he's never tried to sell to me before, and I know he solves my unique problem. So let me just pull up on screen. I'm going to show an example of one of your tweets. This was a pretty successful tweet. Um, most think you can't touch your Roth IRA till 59.5.
So here's what I love about that first line. So, so this is a great hook. Why is it a great hook? Well, it starts out the way that Thomas starts this tweet, he's refuting an assumption. And the mind thrives on novelty. So what Thomas is saying, by the way he's phrased this first line in the very first opening words, is that he's triggered us. He's woken us up with that, that open line. Now, the, the other thing is, you can't touch your Roth IRA till 59.5. So he hasn't written the word until. He wrote the word till. And that goes to being authentic, to having a brand, to having a tone. He's very much coming across as not the typical financial advisor. That's what everything in this first line screams. I'm going to refute an assumption that everybody has, and I'm going to say it in my own way, which is not a kind of, like I said, lofty, hoity-toity, holier-than-thou type of way of talking. So I this this is very good. And then he says, not true. Okay, good. See the second line, not true. Again, now my ears are perked up, right? You can always pull the money, pull out the money you put in. Does that mean you should? No. So again, what, what Thomas is doing here is it's almost like he's having some kind of a Socratic debate with himself, right? Like it, it's, it's almost like when you go to a, a friend and you ask them for advice, and they're kind of like when you go to one of your parents, right? You ask them for advice and they're they'll they're analyzing it from every angle. Like he's not just putting a hard line here, like, uh, you know, yeah, you should you should uh, pull the money out and you'll need my help doing that. So contact me in the information below, right? He's not doing that. He's it just comes across as very sincere because he's giving you the gift of showing you how to think about it, showing you how to make the decision, right? Letting tax-free investments compound for as long as possible is really powerful, but it's also nice to know it is a backup emergency fund. I mean, has he used a plethora of acronyms? Has he tossed out there a huge like graph with very really like intricate design? No. Okay. I mean, it this is this is what I love. It's very clear. It's transparent. What do you think, Thomas? Why do you think this tweet was successful? Um, I try to make it like a conversation. I, I think that you kind of made that point, but like I, again, Samantha Russell always had the point of like, you know, you could rewrite this and say like Roth IRA, you like Roth IRAs have the ability to pull out funds before 59 and a half if you want to, like, that would be like the normal financial advisor tweet. But then it's like, okay, what? Like, I want to take people through, I want to make it like you, I want to make it about them. I want to make it very conversational, very basic but also think through the different angles of things. Like, I feel like sometimes people will just like stop. They're like, you have access to your Roth IRA before 59 and a half, but be smart. It's like, that's just not interesting, right? Like, why would I take it out? Why wouldn't I take it out? Like, you know, I think you just have to take people through it. I think, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm not a great writer, but I think I have the ability to write like this really well. Like, I'm not good at writing a research paper, that's just not me, but I can take people through this thought process and speak in a very conversational way, which I think resonates with people pretty well. Mm. Well, it resonates with enough people really well. And mm -hmm. that's the other thing is, is that, you know, there's this whole complex about, well, not everyone's going to like me or I might tick someone off. 
I mean, I'm really good at that, ticking everybody. I mean, I take everybody off all the time, I think. But, you know, you don't have to go to that extreme, but it's okay to not be great for everybody. You can see Thomas is is doing really well being himself and resonating. He he might not go well with someone who is very formal. This is not a particularly formal type of way of communicating or somebody who's not that patient or who does who doesn't like uncertainty and doesn't doesn't like to be presented with those different angles and those different options. Maybe that person would not be the best person for someone like this. But it doesn't yep. matter because it's, he's killing it. He's killing it with who it is that he is a match for. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Twitter, that's what I like about Twitter is it gives you the ability to speak and not be buttoned up, which is more so who I am. So on Thomas's Twitter page, it says, co-founder All Street Wealth, helping equity compensated millennials and entrepreneur excuse me, entrepreneurs build wealth. And I like that because he's speaking directly to who it is that he helps. And then his tweets go with that. First of all, I like that it's a niche. Kind of. I mean, it's not the narrowest niche, but there is some specificity there. Yeah. And I... I don't pretend it's the deepest niche. I honestly, like to me, I don't want to work with the same, you know, 50 type people and be done. Like I want to build and I want new challenges and I want to face different complexities with clients to keep me really interested. They're all going through the same life stages, but the financial, some of the financial plannings are, are parts are different, but th the key thing for both of them really is tax planning. Like, I think both of them mostly come in and they're like, we have ISOs or NSOs or RSUs, like the tax planning there, or we're a business owner. Do we stay as a partnership? Do we become an S corp? Do we hire our spouses? Do, can we bring on our kids? You know, what do I pay myself? How do I take distributions? You know, what are the other tax planning parts to think about? Like their core really is, we have a lot of income. We pay so much in taxes. We need a plan around this. And we're going through crazy amount of life changes. And all of them, they want a lot of meetings. They want a lot of help. They want to talk through every financial decision. And so some of the different things are different, but the way I work with them are, is entirely the same. Thomas has got a great website. Got to give a lot of credit to my business partner, Trey, and he builds websites for financial advisors and he builds just great websites. What I like about this is I like the clarity. I like the non-overwhelming nature of this website. And I think one thing is we understand our funnel, right? So like if somebody stumbled on our site and they said, who's our generation? We know that we drive people to us from social. So people know who we are. Our goal is not Google and our goal is not SEO. Our goal is social. And so they know who Trade and I are and they know what our generation means. So I think like that is really important for the way that we talk about it. Because if somebody else knew theirs was a different funnel, they couldn't just put our generation there. Picture of the two founders on the front page of the website. That's important. Why did you put your picture on the front page of the website? Because I think what we are really trying to do is we're working with people like us. Like I think, you know, there's so many of the financial planners that are our age that serve retirees. And to us, it's like, that's not relatable. 
but what is relatable is serving people who are facing the exact same things we are. Um, and so we talk about, we're just like you, we're going through these life changes and we know all of these life changes directly impact, you know, your financial position. And then we talk about like, you know, it's always, nobody's been able to work with this demographic for a long time. Like it's always been, you know, assets under management. And then you work with a 55 year old advisor who can't even relate to you. That's not us. And so I think we're really trying to tell that story. <laughs> little humor, right? You have your dog yeah. on the page. Yeah. And they're important to us. So got to include them. Now the pricing page, I'm notorious for harping on this. Financial advisors, first of all, I want you to all look at your websites right now, just as you're maybe not like if you're driving, but wherever you are, I want you to pull your website up right now. And I want you to look at it and I want you to ask yourself, is there enough clear open space on the homepage of my website? Or is it like... I'm suffocating the person. Is my picture on the homepage of the website? Is it? Ask that to yourself. Now, the other thing is, is my pricing on the website? It drives me nuts. Like I get people coming to me quite frequently because I'm always out there on social media and I'm like, this insurance illustration sucks. This direct indexing sucks. Like I'm always like knocking down the different opaque products. And so people actually who are not financial advisors, like my target is financial advisors, right? But people retail, I mean, I almost use the word retail consumer, but like investors and, and business owners, like people see this, like people with a lot of money actually like see these things and they're like, oh my gosh, she's not even, they're like, you're not even a financial advisor, but do you know somebody? And I'm like, yes, I do. And so I'm always doing these searches endlessly based on like who's in my network or who would be a good fit or whatever. And sometimes I um, I can't even refer. I, I I I have a really hard time referring when the person doesn't have their pricing on the website because then I have to go to the ADV. And then even in the ADV, sometimes the pricing is still not specified. Why so much opaqueness about this financial advisors? They're going to find out anyways. So Thomas, what was it for you? I love that you have the pricing on the website. Kudos to you, everybody. Stop making BS excuses about why your pricing isn't on your website and be an honest upfront person and put it on your website. Now, Thomas, why did you make that decision to do that? Um, I think a couple of things. One is like, I think any, like even tech or anything else I go to, if pricing isn't on their website, I just think it's going to be too expensive. Like I, and I, I just distrust it to be honest. So I think for us, it, it was, that was a big reason. Another reason was like, <clears throat> we want to be transparent. Like we live in like one of the least transparent industries. It's sad that transparency is a way to stand out on pricing, but it is. So, so we know that the one hard part for us is that we do have a range of models. So like train has some a little bit lower fee models than I do. Like right now, my lowest client I take on is 9,000 a year. But then we have like, you know, if you're a business owner, you start at 9,000, but I have a bunch that are at 12,000 a year or even above because they need more. Um, so we tried to like include it in there. So people at least knew the bottom end, but it's really hard to say, like, we don't just say like business owners are 9,000 a year because I have some business owners who are 250,000 revenue. And I have other business owners that their, their business is worth 80 million. And that's very different in how we're going to work with them and how much more work that they need. So, but we didn't want to not have those. So I think having the starting price is really important. Um, and you know, then we tell everybody in the first meeting, here's exactly which one you would fit into and why. I just want to conclude with, 
Thomas, what would you say to somebody who is maybe starting out on social media and is frustrated? What are like three things you would say to them? I would say one, scale back your expectations. Um, I think a lot of the disconnect here is that people hear like, oh, it's going to take you three to six months to get clients from it. Unless you're like $100 a month or something really low cost, it's going to take longer than that. And either way, that time is going to pass. And if you don't do social, you're going to do the networking events. You're going to you know, call in upon other people. You can still do those as the short form way to get clients while you build up this marketing engine. So I think managing expectations. And I would say, tell yourself it's going to take you two years. I know a lot of other people in the industry who get some good press around their marketing don't still haven't even really started to get very many clients yet. Like it does take time and building up to that. Um, and if your expectations are wrong, you're going to give up before you hit that point. Okay. Two is own one channel. I think own one channel and one form of marketing. So if you want it to be Twitter, be Twitter. If you want to be LinkedIn, be LinkedIn. But when you spread yourself too thin and also against different platforms that the way that you create is different, you're just going to become average at all of them. So either own like, hey, I'm going to be on Twitter and I'm going to have like a blog with it or I'm going to have Twitter and I'm going to have a podcast. Like have one long form content in, in native area and distribute it on one channel. And then over time, once you become good at that, then you can repurpose it onto LinkedIn or, or do things like that. I would say that's two. And I would say three is commit to a schedule. Um, what I see with advisors a lot is they say they're going to do social. They start doing social, they get busy and they stop. And then they start back up and then they stop and they get start back up and they stop. And instead of having like this compound curve, they end up like going here and then it goes back down and they have to try to pick back up and then it goes back down. And then they don't really make any progress because all the algorithms prioritize people who are active and create content often. And every time you stop, it's going to hurt you there. So that's why I think have a schedule that's manageable and then also schedule it out. Like I, I try to schedule as many months out as I possibly can. Like I think I'm through July and the last time I scheduled, I did four months of scheduling in a Friday. You know, that that's what I did. Obviously, that might not be for everybody, but maybe it's one day a month, you schedule out the whole rest of the month. And that sounds like a lot, but I think you kind of get in a flow state of things and look at other people as inspiration. Like don't copy other people's content, but go find people with good content and be like, ooh, I kind of like that structure, right? Like I, I look at people in health and fitness and I look at people in tax and I look at estate plan attorneys. I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting structure. I can take that structure and make it all about finance. And I think there's a lot of ways to find that inspiration. And again, if you feel like you're not coming up with content, you're either not having enough client conversations or you're not consuming enough other content from other people to be learning on your own. Because I think like I'll walk away from this and I probably could have five pieces of content I could put out there just from our conversation together. Like, I think you just need to get started. And after you get started and do it, it becomes this natural muscle where almost every conversation is a content idea. Well, the other thing is that people are not recording it. They're not writing down the notes after the meeting too. Mm-hmm. What happens to me, like I end the conversation and even if I'm not going to go post it now, I'm like, write post about this. Like I just remember that. And so then have like a note-taking system. Like for me, I love Notion and I have like everything in Notion from like all street stuff to personal stuff. And like you can create things in there and then I'll have like blog post ideas, I'll have podcast ideas, I'll have, you know, thread ideas and just have somewhere with those live. Because if you, the thought comes to your head and you're like, I'll do it later, it'll be gone before you remember late when later is what that idea was. Okay. 
I'm going to wrap here. Thomas, thanks so much for being with us. Everybody, please rate, subscribe, and review this podcast.